listening to Mosaic, a Jesus-centered communities podcast. Our goal is to help people experience a Jesus-centered life. You can find out more about us at welcometomosaic.info. We invite you to subscribe to this podcast as well as rate and review it so others can hear it as well. Enjoy the message. Well, good morning, church. It's good to see you guys this morning. Uh, and those of you joining us online, uh, we're glad to have you with us. Uh, so some of you, a lot of you, if you've been here any amount of time, you know that one of our six core values as a church is to live our life uh, with joyful expectation. Uh, but sometimes in order to, to do that, to live with joyful expectation, it requires that we, we sometimes adjust our expectations or at least manage them. And that's not always, um, not always a super easy thing to do, right? Uh, so today we are, um, we are starting a four-week series in the book of Philippians, I'm excited about. As always, we have so much ground to cover and not nearly enough time to do it. So uh, we're going to jump right into it. I think Siri is telling me something here. All right, we're going to jump right into it. But first, we're going to uh, pray. So would you pray with me? Uh, Holy Spirit, we just we pause uh, to, to, to just ask you to be in this space. We know you arrived here before us this morning. We know that you are more invested in this place. You are more invested in the kingdom business that happens here than any of us. And so we are just, we are honored and we are privileged to be a part of it and to be a part of your movement. Um, it's also not lost on us um, that you um, have your attention with other churches as well. And so we, um, we want to lift up our brothers and sisters just down the street meeting at Waterstone Church. We pray for them that you would just uh, bless them this morning as they worship you, as they dig into your word. Um, we ask that you would just use them in powerful ways to move the gospel message forward in this community. And we, of course, we pray the, the same things for us. Would you allow this time to be of value? Would you allow our hearts to actually engage with your scripture and uh, humbly, I, I ask that you would allow my words to be helpful, allow them to be true and accurate and of value and from you. We remember our Savior, we remember what he did on the cross, and we pray in his name. Amen. All right, so today, uh, my intention is to give you guys just a very high-level overview of the entire book of Philippians and uh, the primary point that Paul is trying to make with this letter, and with the hopes that that sets us up just really well for the next three weeks um, as we dive into it deeper. And then after that overview, we're going to uh, spend just a little time on chapter one, because we need to cover that today and, and pull out the, the nuggets that God might have for us uh, there. So, Philippians, first thing you need to know about this book. Uh, there are four chapters in this book. It, of course, was written by Paul. This epistle was written in uh, 61 AD, right around there. Uh, epistle, that's just a fancy church word for a letter written by an apostle. So Paul used these letters or he used these epistles to communicate uh, with, with the churches he's, he planted. Because after three missionary journeys, um, Paul had planted so many churches that he could not manage or keep up with them or oversee them all himself. So he kind of actually had a staff of, of Timothy and a couple other guys that would take these letters and deliver them. Oftentimes they would stay with those churches for a few weeks or a few months, uh, teaching and preaching 
uh, on behalf of Paul. This letter written by Paul is addressed specifically to a Macedonian church in Philippi, which he planted on his second missionary journey. Uh, Macedonia is what um, in Paul's day they called Northern Greece. Uh, the way this letter is written, it actually gives the impression that Paul did not intend for this specific letter to be uh, circulated among other churches. We know that at the time of Paul writing this letter, it had been at least four or five years since he had been at Philippi uh, in his most recent visit. This particular church in Philippi was uh, very financially generous to Paul, both personally and in, and in his ministry, so much so that there's actually evidence to support that they funded most of, of Paul's expenses. Once they heard that he had uh, landed himself in jail, that support, it didn't wane. Uh, they sent a guy uh, named Aphroditus to go visit Paul in prison and try to literally care for him through the prison bars as best as he could. Unfortunately, upon arriving, this guy, he gets really sick, he almost dies. Paul being the gracious guy that he is, he sends Aphroditus back to Philippi uh, to go get healthy and to deliver this, this letter. Uh, now, the church in Philippi consisted mostly of Gentiles, so none of them would have been familiar with the Hebrew scripture, which is our Old Testament uh, that we have today. And so as far as Paul was concerned, that wasn't a problem. Um, most of those covenants had been fulfilled anyways. The Gentiles were not the original audience for that. And so... Uh, he's fine with that. And we see that uh, because there are zero Old Testament uh, references or quotes in this book. Uh, Paul was a good writer in the sense that he understood his audience. He knew who he was talking to. He knew a bunch of Old Testament uh, would be meaningless to a, a group of Gentiles. So um, also noteworthy, this particular church was not one of those churches that was causing Paul a whole bunch of grief, right? Uh, like the church in Corinth, for example. We see this clearly expressed throughout the entire book um, with his, his use of um, loving language and affinity that Paul just heaps on uh, this church in this letter. It's clear that this church, they really did have a special connection and relationship with Paul. I wish we knew a little bit more about it, but it's clear that it existed. So let me just uh, read that to you in the greeting here. Starting in verse three. Every time I think of you, I think, uh, I give thanks to my God. Whenever I pray, I make my requests for all of you with joy. For you have been my partners in spreading the good news about Christ from the time you first heard it until now. And I am certain that God, who began the good work within you, will continue his work until it is finally finished on the day when Christ Jesus returns. So it is right that I should feel as I do about all of you, for you have a special place in my heart. You share with me the special favor of God, both in my imprisonment and defending and confirming the truth of the good news. God knows how much I love you and long for you with the tender compassion of Christ Jesus. I pray that your love will overflow more and more and that you will keep growing in knowledge and understanding. For I want you to understand what really matters so that you may live pure and blameless lives until the day of Christ's return. May you always be filled with the fruit of your salvation, the righteous character produced in your life by Jesus Christ. For this will bring much glory and praise to God. Okay, a few things worth pointing out in this first portion of chapter one. When Paul refers to this church as partners, he's, he's almost certainly referring to their financial support like we talked about, that they continued while he was in prison. It's clear that this group uh, in Philippi was a true source 
of joy for Paul, like I mentioned. In this opening greeting, we, of course, we read the, the super popular and famous uh, line, God who began the good work within you will continue his work until it is finally finished on the day when Christ Jesus returns. And there is some very rich and deep application there for us as a church, as Mosaic, and we are going to get to that um, after our overview, so I'll make sure not to forget that. We'll come back to that. Then in verses 12 through 14, which we're not going to read for the sake of time, Paul is just talking about how, uh, where he's at. The gospel uh, is gaining momentum. People are getting bold in their sharing of it. And then we're going to pick up here in verse 15. He says this, it is true that some are preaching out of jealousy and rivalry, but others preach about Christ with pure motives. They preach because they love me, for they know I have been appointed to defend the good news. Those others do not have pure motives as they preach about Christ. They preach with selfish ambition, not sincerely, intending to make my chains more painful. But that doesn't matter. Whether their motives are false or genuine, the message about Christ is being preached either way, so I rejoice, and I will continue to rejoice. For I know that as you pray for me, and the Spirit of Jesus Christ helps me, this will lead to my deliverance. Uh, this is an interesting chunk of, of Scripture. Paul kind of has this just remarkable and amazing attitude uh, and perspective here. And to give you a little context, uh, back then, and, and sadly still today, um, there are some that found the preaching of the gospel to be rather lucrative. And with Paul behind bars, this gave them the opportunity uh, to build their name and to build their brand and to build their, their kingdom a little bit more. And instead of Paul hurling insults and condemnation at these people, which he had the moral authority to do, instead of doing that, he is saying, well, their motives, yes, they're, they're twisted, and they're in the toilet a little bit. And while their ambition is, is shameful, their content, their message about Jesus, it's actually pretty solid. He is in no way condoning or excusing those, those sinister uh, intentions or those selfish ambitions that drive their ministry. Their ministry. Uh, he is simply saying that... Even in their sin, even in their wrong motives, the gospel message is, is being spread. Their motives, they may be completely dishonorable. They, may, they might not even believe the message that they're actually preaching, but nevertheless, the message of Christ is being preached. And can I just say how personally challenging that is for me? Uh, you can ask anybody who's, who's close with me, really close with me, like Joe Hall, for example. They would tell you how frustrated I get at the, at the corruption that is festering and growing in the Big C Church. And then to watch those people or those organizations thrive when, when places like Mosaic, which I think is is pretty darn special and solid, they struggle for years and years to make ends meet financially. It's kind of, it is kind of maddening, actually. And then something happened last Sunday at a church, and it went viral on the internet. And if you don't know what I'm talking about, 
that is a good thing. Don't waste your time. Don't go home and looking uh, for this video. It's not worth your time. It really isn't. Uh, and I'm not on social media much, but my wife, uh, she, she is, and she showed me this video, this clip of things that happened at a, a, a Easter Sunday service um, at a church that, man, I just, man, I found that distasteful. And if I'm, if I'm being really honest, kind of just flat out abhorrent. Um, I pride myself on being an even-tempered, even-keeled, not easily angered type of person. Um, I try not to get into silly arguments that nobody wins. But I just could not help but just express my extreme annoyance with Sarah, and Sarah only, um, about this and just what it stirred up inside me. And then I went to go start prepping uh, for today's sermon. And uh, I started reading this passage that had been picked out for weeks, if not months. And of course, the Holy Spirit, doing what the Holy Spirit does, he convicts my heart. And while I could never ever condone what I saw on that video um, at that church service, I dug a little deeper. And at the end of the day, ah, the gospel message is being preached there. And some good things are actually happening. And it is, is not my my job to judge their motives. It's just not. This very week, I had to employ this passage in my own personal life and the wisdom that is found in this scripture. I had to choose to adjust my attitude in order to maintain my own joyful expectation because my outrage, it resolves nothing. It just doesn't. My adjusted attitude, however, at least has the potential to move kingdom business forward. Attitude is a choice. That is what Paul shows us so beautifully here. Attitude is a choice. When others misuse the gospel for their own selfish gain, he just tells himself, it doesn't matter. I rejoice either way because the gospel message of Christ is moving forward. Paul reveals to us here that the the gospel is so much bigger than the worthiness or the character or the merit of its purveyors. The Holy Spirit is great enough to work in people in spite of their sin and their selfishness and their, their rotten motives. However, and I get it, however, at some point our selfishness does begin to negate the gospel, right? And our egocentric aspirations do begin to diminish that message. And Paul even speaks to this in verse 27, which we can't get to, but he speaks to that later. And he says, live in a way that is worthy of the gospel message. So he actually does speak to that. Uh, but like I said, we can never condone that sort of uh, self-building, self-leveraging gospel exploitation, but we can choose our attitudes about it. And we can choose to rejoice in whatever silver lining might possibly be there tiny as it may be. So, like I said, attitude is a choice. And before we move on, I actually wanted to share something with you guys. This is a quote that has hung on my office wall for many, many years. Um, this was given, this sheet of paper was given to me probably 10 years ago at this point, and I was an elder at the church I served at in Texas for, for 10 years. We went out to lunch, and he gave me this paper, and it went on my bulletin board, and the Holy Spirit just kind of draws my gaze to it, um, whenever my attitude starts to get stinky and then he uses it to remind me um, of some things. And so I just wanted to share it with you guys because it's, um, I have probably read this to myself a hundred times without exaggeration. So let me read you. This is Charles Swindoll, by the way. 
The longer I live, the more I realize the impact of attitude on life. Attitude to me is more important than facts. It's more important than the past, than education, than money, than circumstances, than failures, than successes, than what other people say or do. It is more important than appearance, uh, appearances, giftedness, or skill. It will make or break a company, a church, a home. And the remarkable thing is, we have a choice every day regarding the attitude we will embrace for that day. We cannot change our past. We cannot change the fact that people will act in a certain way. We cannot change the inevitable. The only thing we can do is plan on the one thing we have, and that is our attitude. I am convinced that life is 10% what happens to me and 90% how I react to it. And so it is with you. We are in charge of our attitudes. So uh, let's move on. Philippians... Uh, one, starting back in verse 20. Here we go. For I fully expect and hope that I will never be ashamed, but I will continue to be bold for Christ as I have been in the past. And I trust that my life will bring honor to Christ whether I live or die. For to me, living means living for Christ and dying is even better. But if I live, I could do more fruitful work for Christ. So I really don't know which is better. I'm torn between two desires. I long to go be with Christ, which would be far better for me, but for your sake, it is better that I continue to live. Knowing this, I am convinced that I will remain alive so I can continue to help all of you grow and experience the joy of your faith. And when I come to you again, you will have even more reason to take pride in Christ Jesus because of what he is doing through me. And Paul, actually, he did see this, uh, this group in Philippi one more time before he died. Um, in this section, verses 20 through 26, Paul's thoughts, they now kind of turn to his own, his own liberation. Even though he's rotting away in this Roman prison, he can still say with authentic joy that things are going to work out for him either way. And we can see that Paul's uh, idea of liberation or things working out for him, it's pretty wide-ranging, be it release from prison or release from life, right? But for him, either way, he wins. And I just, I love this passage, actually. Um, I always have. I feel like I actually, I resonate so closely with that personally. I've actually had this conversation a number of times with my, my two uh, kiddos, Jackson and Madeline, about this, this idea that there is so much more to look forward to on the other side of death for those who are found in Christ. And how it just, it really sounds a whole lot nicer than this current world in its current state, right? Now to some, that could sound, I get it, it could sound a little dark. It could almost sound like it has suicidal notions or something like that, but that is not it at all. All it is is a high level of awareness that this is not our home, right? No, this place, this world, is just a diluted and broken remnant of something beautiful and something pure that used to exist when God first made it. But for those without a relationship with Jesus, this is actually all they have. And so who could blame them for pursuing things like uh, money and, and power and influence and pleasure and status 
they are just trying to make the most of this, this blip in eternity that they call their lifetime on earth. But there is something so much better, far better for the person found in Christ. But here is the thing. It is not for us to choose when that is. And if you aren't dead, then the potential for kingdom advancement, it still exists within you. But sadly, and I've said this before, but sadly, most, not some, but most of the Christians I have met, uh, they miss that potential. But I'm telling you, if there is air in your lungs, it's not too late to start chasing it. And that is what Paul is uh, getting at here. Paul is saying that his faith is strong enough to declare that life after death is, is unequivocally better than what he's got going on here, but for as long as God has him on this planet, he is going to live fully for him, sharing the gospel with anybody who will listen. And that's exactly what Paul did for the, the rest of his life until his dying breath. And now while Paul, of course, he faced the threat of execution pretty regularly, and we, of course, we do not, um, there's actually a lot of transferable application to us here today. And one of my, ta my main takeaways is if you're not prepared to die, then you're probably not prepared to live, um, at least not fully the way that Paul is talking about here. Um, Paul, Paul's attitude here, it's just, it's next level, right? It's because he's saying the, the preferable possibility, it is death, uh, because that means rest, it means wholeness with Jesus. And his situation was, was not great. But he also acknowledges for as long as God keeps him alive, he's going to be productive, he's going to be fruitful, he's going to share the gospel. And so it's really hard for him to, to declare which one would be better. Just a truly a fascinating perspective and attitude, right? Uh, so let me, try to put a, let me try to put a bow on this. Okay. If the four chapters of Philippians had to be summed up in a single word, that word, of course, it would be joy. And if I had to sum up the most crucial takeaway for us today in just chapter one, it would be back to Paul's opening statement uh, where he tells the church in Philippi that he is certain that the God who began a good work in them will see it to completion. And friends, I'm here to publicly declare, um, I believe that for Mosaic. I believe that. And the full disclosure truth if I can, the full disclosure truth is that I haven't always. I have at moments doubted the organizational viability um, of this place in some of my more cynical and faithless moments. And I hope that kind of honesty doesn't discourage you. Um, but because to be clear, that wasn't Holy Spirit moments. It wasn't. Um, those were moments where I'm leaning on my own understanding. But the Holy Spirit that started a work here all the way back to the 1950s and the Jewel Baptist days and then into the, the Rock era and the Bellevue Mennonite Brethren Church era and the, the Faith Mountain and a few others sprinkled in there and now what we call Mosaic. God has proven himself time after time, year after year, crisis after crisis. And friends, I'm here to say, I believe he's going to do it again. I believe he's going to do it again. The work assigned to this body of believers that calls itself 
Mosaic, the work isn't done yet. It just isn't. It just isn't. God continues to have specific purpose for this body of believers that calls itself Mosaic, for you, for me, and that purpose is, is to live in the power of grace and in the guidance of the Holy Spirit. You know, God has actually used uh, Ben, Karen, and Adrian recently to remind me of these things as I've been vulnerable with them sharing some of my more defeated moments. And I'm so thankful for those three. And you should be too. There is, there is still air in our lungs, church. As individuals and as an organization, there is still air in our lungs. And so that means there is still kingdom business that needs to be attended to. Our joyful expectation and confidence in the future, it is validated by our history. We've seen God do it before. He has proved himself faithful to this body of believers time and time again. And he's going to do it again. I'm starting to become certain of it. Church, are you with me? Amen. All right. Hey, let me pray for us, and then we're going we're gonna to continue to worship. Holy Spirit, would you uh, let that be true of us? Would you let the work of building Jesus' kingdom be alive and well here at Mosaic? Would you start that work in our individual hearts, and then would you see it into fruition in unity? in this body. As I pray often, would you help us not get ahead of you? Help us not fall behind you, but help us stay just in perfect stride with you, Holy Spirit. And lastly, keep us far from sin. As individuals, as a church, help us smell it a mile away. Help us see it for what it is and then give us the the clarity of thought, the wisdom to just sprint in the opposite direction of it. We believe this is possible through your power, prayed in the name of our Savior Jesus. And so that's what we do. Amen. Thanks for listening to this week's message. You can find us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. We invite you to connect with us. If you'd like to give to this ministry, you can do so at welcometomosaic.com slash give. Have a great week.